All right, guys, welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, Cade and I are talking about one of our favorite topics uh, that we've talked about so far, and that's going to be going on your first appointment. Yeah, so for this episode, we're going to assume a couple of things before we dive in. So we're going to assume that you've already done all your marketing, you've talked with the seller, you've gotten all the way up to the point of setting the actual appointment with the seller. So we're not going to do a deep dive into, um, you know, how to set the first appointment. We're going how to handle the actual appointment, right? Yeah. So before you even go on an appointment, there's obviously a whole bunch of things that you've done. You've spent money, you spent time, Mm -hmm. your probably your emotions are all over the place. So it's important that you get this right the first time. And like everybody talks about like, uh, you know, falling down to your, uh, level of preparation, things of that stuff. So let's talk about what you do before you even go out on the appointment, you know, um, things of that sort. So what do you do when you're getting ready? So, and so I know when we were talking about having the appointment already set, so, and even before that actual time, you're going to want to confirm with the seller the time and the date. So you may have set it, you may have set it once you may have set the appointment for a week out. You can't go that whole week and then show up to that seller's house at that date and time you talked about without confirming again the day before or the yeah. day of, right? Because it's just a waste of your time. I mean, they could have forgotten. You You need to confirm that appointment day and time. Before we even move on from that, I want to even say we didn't. We said we weren't going to go into how do you set an appointment. Like we're going to go from you've already set it on. If you set an appointment a week out, you don't have an appointment. You have a maybe. That's my thought process. So if you have an appointment set up for a week out and you don't confirm, don't even waste your time going out there. They're not going to be there. Yeah. Like say you you do text them and ask to confirm or you call them and ask to confirm and they ghost you. That Yeah. Don't waste your time by going out there. You don't have confirmation. <laughs> you don't have confirmation. You're wasting your time by even driving out. Yeah. And so at the same time, you're confirming your appointment day and time. You're also going to want to make sure in our experience dealing with these appointments we've gone on is that if at all possible, making sure all the decision makers are there, right? Always. I ran into this um, a little bit on the last appointment, uh, investment appointment I just went on that I'm still keeping in touch with the seller now two and a half weeks after the appointment because all the decision makers cannot be there at the appointment. So if at all possible, make sure if it's a mother, if it's a father, if it's a sibling, if it's someone else on title that you're going to need their signature to sign off, if at all possible, ask the seller, hey, you know, uh, who else is going to be able to make it? That is an important part of this process and who's going to be assisting you in selling the property. Yeah. And if you don't have all the decision makers there, what what's going to end up happening nine times out of 10, even if you're a really good closer, is you're going to get yes, but... I have to talk to this person. Mm-hmm. And that's a maybe. And maybes are the worst case scenario when you're on an appointment because you went there with the sole intention, especially you want to make sure that this is clear to the seller with the sole intention of coming to an agreement. And so if they're able to push it off and say, well, you know, this guy needs to be part of it, you know, brother or uncle or whoever, yeah. then you want to have known about that ahead of time. And we're going to talk about in another episode about how you can sometimes figure that kind of stuff out. Yeah. So we've got our confirmed appointment, you've 
you're now aware of if the seller and any other decision makers are going to be there. And then what do we do next prior to the appointment? Well, even sometimes before I get off the phone, sometimes I'll even confirm facts like, hey, before I get out there, I just want to run it past you one last time. When we talked on the first phone call, you had mentioned that the home was 18 or you know 800 square feet. It's two bedroom, one bath. Is that right? Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure, uh, you know, do you have any other liens or, you know, delinquent taxes, anything else that I'm going to need to help pay off in order to make a deal come together? You're just trying to fact find before you confirm. So this way you can run your numbers a little bit more accurately. Um, and you're not throwing in so many loop, you know, or, or uh, yeah, like bumps or anything like yeah. that, you know, down the road. So running numbers, that would be my next thing. Um, before I'm going on an appointment. So I've got confirmed details, dates, times with the seller. You know, I'm going out on my appointment the next day. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to do a little bit of homework. So yeah. one, that means running some comps. If you're what, a licensed, what does that even mean? If you're a licensed agent, you can log into the MLS and look at recently sold homes in the area, look at homes that are currently listed in the area, and look at homes that are currently in escrow in the area yeah so you're trying to get a grasp of what would this home be worth if i were to come in and make it all brand spanking new and sell it back on the open market because right. we're going to work backwards from there to see what our offer price and be. again this is how we do it we do it differently everybody's different now if you're not an agent mm -hmm. this is where you start having your first you know maybe a little bit of inaccuracies and maybe reaching out to an agent would be helpful yep uh when you're running your comps and you don't have access to the MLS, the MLS is like the, the gold mine of data, but you can go run your comps on Zillow. And we know plenty of people who have made a lot of money running comps on Zillow. We My, ran comps, comps we, on Zillow for it. our rental properties out in Indiana. My only recommendation is if you're running comps on Zillow is maybe if you have a friend in the area who's a realtor or if you know someone, reach out and get a second opinion. That's something that we've always talked about before going on an appointment is getting a second opinion of your ARV yeah. because you have to be cautious on that because that's where a lot of people get optimistic and lose money. Even, I mean, I I know every time, uh, almost every time, either one of us who are both agents and have access to the MLS, when we're running our preliminary, preliminary numbers, we still get each other's second pair of eyes on it just to see if, you know, just Did to double check anything? and reaffirm if we missed anything because it never hurts to get that second set of eyes on it. And it's a lot in part because we don't want to ever open a contract that we don't have the explicit intention of closing on. Mm -hmm. You know, if you start fast running these numbers and you go out and you toss out a number and it's too high and later you realize it's too high, we go with the intention of we're closing on it. So, you know, we lost money there. That's our fault, not the seller who maybe made some financial decisions in order to take our offer. Yeah. Now, running backwards to get to the distressed property, you want to talk about how we've done that in the past and how we're doing it? Yeah. So typically we start with that ARV, that after repair value, which is what we think if we were to go in there and flip the home, we could sell it for on the open market, yes. right? And so things you have to account for working backwards from there. So you're going to have holding costs, which are and closing costs. So holding costs, one would be any interest that is being paid to your lender. So whether that be a private money lender or a hard money lender, you're going to get a loan unless you're paying your own cash for this place. You're going to have to be paying your lender interest every month until that property is sold. Right. Other holding costs consist of, you know, the PG&E, the insurance, you know, HOA or solar. HOA, uh, all that other little miscellaneous stuff that people don't, a lot of people don't account for. And then all of a sudden when you've been holding a property for six months while it's being fixed, you're like, 
I thought I was going to make 40 grand. What happened to all this money? You, you got to account for the holding costs. I have a great example that goes with this is it's row 37. So mm-hmm. I have a flip right now that we had accounted for this to be a, a slightly longer flip because we had to drill a well and the well took a really long time. And uh, my partner and I, Jason, were looking at it and we just kind of see our profits ticking down because at this point we had accounted for a six month escrow or a six month uh, holding time frame, And we're going to be closer to seven, you know, that tax on an extra three, four grand in mm-hmm. holding costs because we had to pay out something to the buyer because the escrow got delayed. Now they need money for the escrow. Now we need to pay out money for our lenders holding it an extra month, you know, and it's having a really good relationship with your lenders is important too. Yeah. Um, but we would never short our lender because something that we, you know, didn't foresee, but that had our, you know, uh, our hand of control over. Yeah. And something else we got to think about when you're trying to get get to this rough estimate of where you would need to be with for the seller to put a yeah. deal happen. So we've got our ARV working backwards. We did our holding costs, closing costs. So when you turn around to sell the property, you've got to pay the real estate agent c- commissions for yep. the listing. And typically as the listing, uh, as the seller, you pay both the listing agent's commission and the selling agent's commission. Yeah. Ranges between typically five and six percent depending on what you decide to do when you list right. it right uh other closing costs just fees to the title and an escrow company yep. both on the purchase because typically we like to uh, an incentive we, we offer we the cover seller all the closing costs is to cover all the closing costs and then also on the back end on the sale typically split split 50 50 between the buyer and seller so that's also something yeah. you got to count for um Let's do the big one. What do we usually account for for rehab? Because these we're flipping a property. Yeah. What's it going to cost to fix it? Well, we're going to go over it briefly because really at the end of the day, this is a totally to- this is a topic we could dive into for yeah. you know hours. Yeah. But typically, you get an estimated repair uh, budget based off of what you've heard, and you have to listen to the seller at that point, and you make it clear to the seller that you know you're taking them at their word, and so mm-hmm. their honest opinion needs to be there. And uh, your numbers could change. But when you get there, that's when you really crank out the final details. But, you know, for our situation, typically we just throw in a placeholder of about $25 a foot plus windows. You know, if it needs AC or anything like that or roof, we add those in. We have all these little formulas, but we'll talk about it in another episode. Yeah. That's the main portion of the the price reduction. Yeah. So you want to make sure you can at least the, the goal before you go on that, that appointment, you don't want to go in blind. You want to go in with a sense of what things are worth in the neighborhood and you want to have a sense of, can this be a deal or not? The last thing I would say too, is when you're looking at sold properties, try to see what the more distressed properties are selling for. That would be a really good way that when you go in and you have that conversation, you can say other investors appear to be paying anywhere in the ballpark of blank to blank Mm -hmm. for a property in this condition. Now, you have some credibility because you ran your comps and you understand, well, here's what the fixed up homes sell for. And here's what the not fixed up thrashed homes sell for. Mm-hmm. You're Mr. and Mrs. Seller somewhere in the middle. And we have to really base it off the condition of the property. Yeah. And so prior to the appointment, we've gone through a little bit of this. So we've confirmed with the seller. We've done a little bit of our preliminary homework. Mm-hmm. And the next step that we like to do in preparation is just to draft a copy of the purchase contract that we use when we purchase property. Yeah. And we typically fill out all the information in that contract. I think it's three or four pages. Yeah. It's just throwing in the address, swapping out the buyer name and also yep. the seller name. 
but we're leaving the purchase price section blank and the timeline in the timeline the escrow closing time frame blank now to clarify too we don't use the california association of realtors purchase contract Correct. we use our own contract we had drafted by an attorney yes so it's a little it's a little shorter and a little bit more to the point a little more simple and the reason for prepping and having that contract is one a lot of the times and i'll at least speak from personal experience a lot of the times a seller likes to have a copy of the contract if i don't if we don't get something signed on the appointment i'm always saying hey this is a copy of the contract that i've used countless times you know to purchase properties here um you know please review it if you have any questions or concerns or something sticks out to you that would make you uncomfortable moving forward with doing a deal please let me know i want to make sure that this is okay and you are completely comfortable with doing that yeah the last big thing that you and i have really practiced we've we've always been big proponents of it but it's scripting and and practicing how you're going to execute um especially if this is your true first appointment or if it's just your first appointment with any seller uh have a conversation with somebody that you know or trust that's pretty good at what they do. You know, like for me, uh, sometimes I'll go talk to Benny or I'll talk to Jason or, you know, I'll call you, whoever it is. And you have that conversation. Here's the situation. Here's what I'm looking to do. Uh, You know, can we talk about it? You know, talk through what maybe some of the uh, pushbacks may be, things of that sort. Yeah. Just catching each other. Well, and I remember doing this with my most recent investment appointment too, is just kind of getting the other person caught up to speed on a little bit of the details to see exactly what you were saying, what some possible objections, objections might be, what could possibly pop up and to best prepare to combat those objections and help the seller. Right. And the last thing too, is sometimes when you have that scripting conversation, there's a, maybe there's like a, a issue that you didn't originally see, like, hey, well, you didn't ask this person where they're going next. Like, you need to ask that when you get to the appointment. That's something that you guys could talk about. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're not perfect. And, we, you know, if you get caught on a seller phone call and you're driving to an appointment and you're kind of, you know, brain dead and you set the appointment because of some stroke of luck or, you know, you're good at talking, great. Now you have the appointment, but you have no clue what you're walking into. And that appointment is the most important time to come up with a solution. Yeah. You know, it's a first impression of sorts. And the last thing that we talked about going into the preparation preparation stage right before going on the appointment would be either on the way there. And it kind of ties into the scripting and getting yourself in the right mindset, which is either one listening to a podcast or listening to a book on the way over that puts you in the right headspace for negotiations, for rapport building, for all these things that go into the appointment and I know I you want to grab the book. For- if you're if you're on YouTube and you can see this book, never split the difference, is a book that Kate and I listen to pretty frequently. Yeah, um, and it's by, by Chris Voss. Chris Voss. Chris Voss was a, a like a FBI and uh, hostage negotiator. Uh huh. So if he can negotiate stuff, you can negotiate stuff. But it, it has a lot of practical tools, and especially if I'm feeling weak on a specific thing, like maybe I'm not very good at labeling, you know, right now, and I've been struggling at labeling what the issue is, so that way we can solve the problem maybe i'll go listen to a certain chapter or maybe it's finding the black swan which we'll talk about later yeah but it's been helpful it's a it's a great reminder it's kind of like when you're warming up and you're you're checking each muscle and making sure like okay like this has been kind of warmed up it's not the first time i'm using it today when i get there yeah and going in with that right mindset i mean can make or break your appointment and i remember this has happened to each of us and i remember this maybe 
a month ago, you would call me and you were like, dude, I just walked out. It wasn't an investment appointment. It was a listening appointment. And you were like, dude, I just did not feel good on that appointment. And then we talked and we were like, okay, you know, why? You know, what, yeah, what, what did you do wrong? What went wrong? Could, could we have done something beforehand preparation-wise to get each other in the right mindset of going on that, that appointment? Because if you're not in the right headspace, not in the right mindset – it mo- more than likely it's going to come across that way to the seller and the seller is not going to have a good feeling walking away. Cause they're going to be getting those, that impression and those vibes from you. Yeah. And, and funny enough on that one, I actually got I the listing <laughs> and, uh, I almost wanted to ask him like, why did you still choose to work with me? I, cause I knew that I didn't feel like I had done very well presenting solutions or presenting how I was going to provide but they still chose me. So maybe it was also something that I needed to, after I reflected, kind of let, you know, forgive myself a little yeah. bit. Sometimes we get down, you know, especially on these first appointments, you, you're kind of nervous. Oh, you know, yeah. I still get nervous sometimes <laughs> from time to time when I go on a listing appointment, Yeah, you know, and that, that was one of them. So, you know, it's something to think about when you listen to a book or a podcast, you've, you've kind of hit the last step. You know, if you're prepared in your numbers, you're prepared with your contract, you've scripted the situation and got a second pair of eyes on the whole thing. And now while you're going over, you're being reviewed how to talk. You're kind of in your best spot. Yeah. You're going in there the most prepared that that you can be in setting yourself up for success on that appointment. So yeah. now let's jump into you're there. getting to the appointment. You are there. You have met the seller. You're standing in front of the house and you're like, okay. Uh, you don't want to sit there and go, uh, show, yeah, show me, show me the house. That, yeah. That'd be great, right? No. <laughs> so... But it the, goes without being said, don't be late. Yes. That is big. <laughs> don't be late. The thing, and I think, you know, it's it's funny because we joke about it too, but I think being on time is late and getting there early is on time yeah. and then getting there late is just all bad. Yeah. So setting that very first impression up with the seller in person, right? So you've made that first impression on the phone or text and you've had all yeah. this rapport building up until that point. But typically before the first appointment, you haven't met the seller in person. So getting there a little bit on time and at the very latest on time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier on time and making sure you set that good impression. So I know the two things we've talked about being most important in our appointments are listening, being a listener to the seller, because typically they're in the spot because they've got a problem with their property and they, they're looking to sell it. There's really no other reason as to why you would be there at the appointment in the first place. Right. And then number two, building rapport. Yeah. Do we want to talk about what that means a little bit more? Like what does that mean to build rapport with a seller? Yeah. So, well, and the only time it's important that you talk is when you get out of your car and you're walking up, have a smile on your face and introduce yourself again. Because a lot of the times, if you don't introduce yourself again, they're not going to remember your name necessarily. You want them to remember your name. So you walk up, Hey, you know, Scott, nice to meet you. Thanks so much for having me out. Uh, then they're going to say, Oh yeah, no problem. Like, what do you want to do? I'm going to say, okay, typically I like to walk through the house with you and, and get some photos for my own safekeeping. That way, when I'm done today, you know, I don't have to come back. That's a big thing. They really like that. And then they'll say, okay. And they go to open the door and they start walking through and you say, so catch me up to speed. What's going on? You know, and you can even say, you know, we've talked before, but you know, I just want to make sure that I'm on the same page. You mentioned some stuff's going on. Can you catch me back up to speed? And they're going to run you back through the whole situation. And the really good thing is you're multitasking. It's that thought of duality that Pace talked to us about on our podcast. Yeah. 
It's you're taking photos and you're being meticulous, right? Because you want to not have to come back. But you're also giving the seller time to really tell you all the nitty gritty details. Somebody said that a lot of the information comes at the first five minutes before and five minutes after an appointment. And I believe that. But that middle portion is a lot of fact finding. Mm -hmm. And your whole goal should just be to listen. And then, you know, when they bring up something like, yeah, but then I had to go pay off some debt and, and deal with that. And, you know, oh, okay, you had to pay off some debt? You know, and like it sounds a little intrusive, but if you're helping them with a huge financial decision, it's helpful to know what kind of debt they need to pay off. Yeah. Because then what if you offered too low and, and you lose out on the deal because you, you know, you didn't realize that there was just a few grand more in debt that you could have figured out, maybe wiggled your numbers and made it happen. Yeah. So that's interesting. That middle part you were talking about kind of reminded me of what we wanted to share too is on your first appointment on any investment appointment, don't be talking real estate the the whole time you're yeah. on the appointment. Don't right? talk about the house. You, you're being an active listener. Someone says, you know, yeah, this was my dad's house. You know, he really loved golf. He, he you know, golfed at the course right around the corner, X, Y, Z. Find a way to relate to the seller. That is a huge part of rapport building. Yeah. But the biggest thing when it we... It has to be genuine. It has to be genuine. A seller will immediately recognize if you're not being genuine or if you're being sly or sneaky to, to try and build rapport or try and connect in a way that isn't there and isn't genuine you've got to be genuine that's why everybody will say that you know if you sound like a used car salesman a used car salesman is really what they're saying is that you're you're flattery you're not yeah. using genuine appreciation like you could find appreciation with anybody over anything and so when you walk in the house and they're talking to you and you're trying to build that rapport one i'm of the point that you don't need to try very hard to feel like you're one of them if you're nice and you listen and you ask real questions, they'll feel like you're one of them. Um, don't sound like a you know an interrogator or anything like that. Uh, but when the moments do come up where you're like, you know, they mentioned like for us, like golf is something that we like to do. We try it with our friends. We're not very good at it. So it's something that we can relate with a lot of people. You know, and they say, oh, I like to golf. Oh, really? I love to golf too. Where do you play? Oh, I play, you know, wherever. Oh, very cool. How long you been? How long you been doing that? And you're catching up with them. And then later... That kind of stuff makes you feel like, oh, this guy's more of my friend. Like, this guy's not here, you know, just for business. Like, he actually is getting to know me and helping me solve some problems here. Yeah. And building that connection with the seller is what is what's going to get a deal done. I mean, th think about yourself. If you're doing business with somebody or even, like, talking to somebody or being acquaintances or coworkers or friends with somebody – you're not going to connect with somebody if it's not genuine. If you can no. tell someone's fake and they're trying to use flattery and, and bullshit you, you're going to see that a mile away and people aren't going to, it's not going to feel good. Right. So you've, that is huge, huge. Yeah. The last part is that a lot of this is setting you up for figuring out things outside of real estate. You know, sometimes when you get these real estate deals, I would say, I would even argue most of the time, unless it's like a tenant situation or a foreclosure, uh, even in a foreclosure, it's outside of real estate issues coming into the real estate world. Yeah. So you're just trying to figure out who this person is and how you can help, right? Yeah. You know, we all do stuff outside of real estate. Yeah. How can we help you there? Yeah. And it's funny because we're going to do a little recap and take a deep dive of things that are super helpful on your appointment that came from a different podcast, the Bigger Pockets podcast, in which... Um, our investor friend who came to Fresno and who we know 
Pace Morby hosted, and he's doing a crap ton of business. But I wanted to say on that episode, try to find ways to help outside of real estate. So, <coughs> excuse me. I remember him saying on his very first deal, him trying to lock up his very first deal. The seller was like, hey, you know, I've got an offer of 15 grand more. And, uh, you know, what, what can you do? And Pace had said, you know, I, I'm sorry, you know, Mrs. You Seller, that deal. Mrs. Seller, I, I can't make that work. If you've got an offer at 15 grand above where I'd be, you should take that. But please let me know if you need help, you know, moving anything. I've got a truck you can move. Or in this situation, the seller had a bunch of bunnies that needed to be relocated. And Pace was like, you know, let, let me talk with my mom and we can go grab those bunnies and relocate them. And then the seller ended up coming back to him and saying, hey, um, you know, I, I'm not moving forward with that other offer. I, I want to do business with you. And it's figuring out ways when you when you're genuine about it, too. It goes back to being yeah. genuine. If you yeah. can find ways to help the seller, they're going to appreciate that. That's really key. Pace is a really cool guy to look out for. Pace has a TV show, the six-figure flip on A&E. Triple-digit flip. Triple-digit flip. Yeah. And uh, that's really cool. He also uh, was on Bigger Pockets. If you are new to real estate and you're hearing us, go listen to Bigger Pockets. Yes. They've got really, really <laughs> good guests, really great content, and uh, they're super consistent. We've definitely we listen to them as well. But we got a lot of this from Pace on one of his episodes with Bigger Pockets. It most yes. recently came out. It's called the Five Questions to Ask Every Seller. So it was coincidental that we use a lot of similar questions, but you know he packaged it in a great way, and we wanted to share it with you guys. So yep. Um, one of the first questions he asked about is about a black swan question is what he called it. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting being realtors. We can ask this question and it doesn't sound weird. Yeah. And that question would be, what did your realtor say? Or, you know, who, what, you know, are you planning on listing this with a realtor? Essentially you're figuring out, you know, is this person even going to be selling this to an investor? Or is this a, an on market deal? A lot of the times we go on appointments, they can be on market deals. And we might have an extra opportunity to try to secure it as a listing. Yeah. But more importantly, if they say, oh, I don't have a realtor. I don't have an agent or whatever. You kind of have a better idea of what you're playing with. Like this guy doesn't want to go on the market or else he would have called a realtor. I mean, everybody knows five realtors. Yeah. You know, so this guy has something going on that makes him think, I don't want to deal with the real estate market. Yeah. Is that what you think? Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's being able to weed out and it goes back to, you don't want to waste your time on non-quality lead. Like we're in a business. If you, you don't want to spend your time calling and talking, talking to leads and people who are, if you're a pure investor who are better suited listing on the open market. So asking that question up front to be able to figure out if there are any black swans, it's like, okay, great. Yes my agent said X, Y, Z, or no, I haven't contacted an agent. I, I really don't want to list on the market. But the big thing you said is potential routes to still collaborating or uh, as Pace and a lot of people like to call it squatting up and figuring out a win-win for everybody, even if there is an agent involved. Right. Like we've even had deals where we pay out realtors, yeah. uh, you know, because maybe they brought us the deal or we list it with them on the back end. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that you're still solving the seller's problem, right? Like, uh, People are always nervous because we're realtors and agents and other people. It's like, well, are you looking out for the seller's best interest? What people forget is sometimes their best interest isn't or what they're most wanting to do is not the highest price. Mm -hmm. And if a realtor can find you an investor who's able to close and give you a pretty good price, 
that might be your favorite answer. Yeah. And so for us, we always, we want to know if there's other players. We yeah. even want to know if there's other investors. We'll ask. Like, yeah. Hey, do you have any other offers? <laughs> Who are you working with? Because we probably know them. Yeah. And if we know them, we might not even submit an offer. If they come to us and say, yeah, we, we have an offer and it's with uh, this guy, Dean. You know, it's like, oh, hey, Dean's really, really good at what he does. And I bet that Dean's going to have a better offer than me to begin with. Yeah. So if there's anything I can do to help you outside of real estate, let me know. But I recommend that you work with Dean. And on a side note, I think that's one of the coolest things about it goes back to being genuine and building relationships with other investors. I mean, we've got a really tight knit community of investors here in the Central Valley and stuff like you're talking about, which has happened to both of us. It's it's cool to be able to know that, you know, in our tight knit group, we're not looking to go and screw people over or outbid somebody else. You know what I mean? Like we, we know there's plenty of stuff to go around. Yeah. Um, well, the, how about that? There was also, before we jump off that topic, yeah. there's also been experiences where you went to listings and you found people like Darren Wade yeah. and they're yeah. the listing agent. And guess what? Now you and the listing agent are able to come to the seller with two completely separate opportunities. Yeah. And the seller now has a decision. Do I work with Kate or do I work with Darren? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's not like there's another option in their head. Yeah. So that's been really cool. We've seen that happen. And either way, in the, in that example, the seller ended up wanting to go the listing route with Darren. And that's a freaking dope win for the like there you that, go. That it's, it's a win win. It's another listing for a friend that we know. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so the second question that you're gonna want to ask the seller on your first appointment and in every appointment. Um, which may sound a little weird or contradictory for you if you haven't been out on your first appointment or aren't really deep dived uh, or well experienced yet, is asking the seller, are you okay with me telling you if we're not a good fit? And this is often on your on your confirmation call when you're calling to confirm the appointment. Hey, uh-huh. you know, we're coming out with the intention of making a deal. In the event that I'm not the right person, are you comfortable letting me know that I'm not the right person and vice versa? And from what we've listened to and what we've experienced, why, why is that a good question to ask? One, you're setting an expectation and the expectation is that nobody's being forced to work with somebody. When you put somebody in a corner, they, they always react aggressively and defensively. And we're not here like some shark investor trying to take advantage of you. Like we're trying to come up with a solution here. So if the solution's not great, you know, you don't have to work with me, but vice versa. If you, you know, come to me and and you have this house and it doesn't make sense, I'll let you know. I'm not going to make an offer on a house. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's okay. At the end of the day, we're just having a conversation and seeing if we can, you know, have a win-win solution. Yeah. It creates like a chasing almost effect yeah. because sellers in those positions at times, they have a lot of people calling. Like there's a lot of investors and they start thinking, well, I'm, you know, the talk of the town. I could do whatever I want to this guy and he'll still buy my house. By setting it up this way, you set up a better relationship. Yeah. And like I like the example you just used with the seller getting a bunch of calls or getting a bunch of postcards and stuff. They expect us to be salesy. They, I mean that they expect, you know, they don't expect for an investor to come in and be like an upfront. I mean, you've done all this work to be the one to go on the appointment. They don't expect you to say, are you okay with me telling you if we're not a good fit and vice versa that it kind of catches them off guard a little bit. And like you were saying, kind of almost creates that, that chase effect, like I'm, well, you know, what, 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 what what's wrong with my house? Yeah, exactly. And that's a great, not even negotiating tactic, but just a great tactic to set yourself up for the negotiations on that appointment. And the biggest thing there too, is you disarmed any 
fear that they have that they can't just tell you it's not a good fit. Yeah. And now you can have more honest conversation. You're not going to get the maybe when it's really a no. Yeah. Um, after that, you start looking into the future. So you've spent the whole first half of your appointment figuring out what's going on and, and whatnot. Now we kind of transition into, well, what's next? So for us and how Pace also brought it up, the next really important question to know is like, in a perfect world, where are you going? Like if you had a magic pencil and you could draw your, your future, what would that look like? Are you staying in town? Are you staying in the house? Are you moving into a house with family? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. And that works both. I mean, in that sense, we're talking about an owner-occupied house, right? So they currently live in the house. But it works for non-owner-occupied, too, if it's a rental. You know, you know, what do you plan to do after you sell this? And then they could be, you know, say, you know, I'd love to 1031 and, and roll it into, you know, something else. Or you know, I'd really like to use it for retirement or I'd love to put it away for my grand. Like it's just figuring out what, and that's just peeling back more layers of the onion. What's important to the seller. And that's another huge question to be able to figure out where they're at. And the reason why you want to know where they're at is because your solution varies depending on what they're trying to do. Yeah. If they yeah. want to move this money into the next house, they need to sell it up front. But maybe if, they're just looking to use it as a retirement. Maybe a, maybe taking terms and having some yeah. kind of an, a monthly payment is helpful. What's really key is also coming to the conclusion that you can paint a picture once you know where they're at now and where they want to go. And if you can see that vision and show them that you see the vision, now you can show, here's where I fit into this plan. Yeah. And, that, and just being able to touch on, again, finding you know, maybe other ways to help if they're like, well, crap, I, I, I don't know really where I'm going next. I've got a lot of stuff I need to move out or I need to, I, I don't know if they don't know where they're going next. I mean, obviously, typically you're not going to want to close on a house that still has a seller in it, right? And them yep. not know where they're going next. So it's good to figure that out up front instead of after as grow closes and you're like, absolutely oh, crap. Yeah. So fourth question that you're going to want to ask on your first and every appointment is asking the seller, how will you know that you've made the right decision? And taking that, it, it, that's another kind of question that kind of catches the seller off guard because that's not really something they're thinking about going into the appointment. And again, the initial perception of, you know, a bunch of people want, you know, all this and all that it makes them kind of stop and think a little bit like, huh, how will I know that, that I made the right decision by working with you? It's interesting too, because when you, when you phrase that, there's a lot of phrasings where you can ask, how will we know we made the right decision? Yeah. You know, and you start using subliminal we's. Um, the other thing is you're arming them for when they get pushed back, right? Because we've all had it where we have a deal. We think we're locked up and then dad or uncle or whoever comes in and, you know, they're doing what they want to do as a dad. They're trying to be helpful. They say, oh, this is wrong and this is wrong and fix this. But what they're really doing is canceling a deal because they didn't realize that their kid's situation is as dire as it might be, right? And so now you're looking at it and you're saying, what are you going to tell your family when you tell them that you made this decision? Yeah. You know, and now you're going to hear what they say and you can start arming them like, okay, well, you, you know, you can bring up to them that, you know, we solved all these problems and you list off this, that, and the other and. Um, you know, so we're going to be buying your house and we're giving you a spot to live for 15 days after. And, 
you're going to have your money to go get your next apartment. And, you know, we're helping give you a loading truck to get you over there and all that, you know. And now when they go talk to him, it sounds like, hey, that's a pretty sweet deal. And they feel better about it than when their family says, well, you could have listed it on the market and made 20 grand more. Are you, are you too good for 20 grand? Yeah. Well, you know, they don't really know the market. They might even say it's worth 100 grand more. Yeah. You know, if you don't do your research, you can have an opinion. It's just not valid. And like you were saying, and like we talked about in the very first question, this is another opportunity to find any more black swans or if any more of these things pop up. Well, how, how would we know if we made the right decision? And then the seller could say, you know, well, you know, my, my attorney will say yes and approve the sale. And Uh-oh. if up until all the way that point, you haven't heard anything about an attorney. Now you just uncovered another black swan where you're like, okay. Now this also has to go through your attorney. We need the okay from the attorney. So it equips you with more information and just gets everything out in the open. And you can now restart and start figuring out the painting a little bit better and figure out how you're going to work it. Yeah. Okay. Last question. This is probably the most important, important, right? So at that point, right, you've come to a conclusion. It sounds like everything's good. Go. Mm -hmm. Now you put the onus on them and you say, okay, if we could get everything that I just told you done. What would be your next step? And nine times out of 10, they say time to sign a contract or let's, you know, get this over to my attorney or whatever it is. Boom. Yeah. And asking them that question, I think inherently not, not only makes them feel it makes the seller feel a little, little more important, but, but it kind of makes them feel like more, even a little more of a decision maker. Right. So, so typically up until this point, you know, you're, you're being a big decision maker, you're, you're fact finding, you're relaying information. But when you ask the seller, you know, assuming we can accomplish everything we talked about today, what would be our next step? And the set, like you were saying, nine times out of 10, the sellers are like, well, let, if you've let, done everything let, else, let, right. Yeah. Let, well, let's sign a contract when it comes from us, when it comes from a buyer to the seller and, and we're wrapping up a call or, wanna, or you, saying something in person, like, do you want to sign? Yeah. So it's like, well, I, I can send over the contract to you via DocuSign right now or, you know, right after we get off the call. That kind of puts the seller in panic mode like, oh, oh he's oh. trying to close me. Yeah, exactly. So asking that question and putting it in the hands of the seller. And like you said, nine times out of 10, they're going to say, let's sign the contract. So I think that is a great recap of the bare minimum five questions that you should be asking on the appointment to fact find, to build rapport and if it is your first appointment and you're going in nervous as hell, cause I know if it's your first appointment and like you were saying, even now I, I get nervous going on appointments I get and excited. I, I get, I get pumped signing a contract. I know if I know when either one of us sets an appointment, we're like literally text each other. We're like, bro, going on this investment appointment. Yeah. It's like a little bit of nerves, excitement, but that kind of gives you, you know, your bare minimum of five questions going in. If you walk in with those five questions, you're going to be so much more well-equipped than if you're going in blind. Yeah. You know, okay. So let's go through the nine times out of 10. So nine times out of 10, they say yes, right? Yeah. So that's when you bring out your contract. Yeah. What's important when you bring out your contract at an appointment yeah. is to briefly go through kind of what this contract is saying. Mm-hmm. It's again, you're setting them up for when they go talk to their family. Mm-hmm. They feel confident, right? So you can say, look, here's the purchase price and here's the names and here's the property address it's important that you know this you know there's these clauses right so if something goes wrong you know we can cancel for x reason or y we have an investigation period to bring in any contractors we need you know x y and z 
um, and have that conversation so that way they don't feel like they're just signing something and they don't know what it says. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, you say, okay, great. I'm going to be opening up escrow, uh, and I'm going to be getting you a copy of this as well. What about the one time that they don't? So when someone doesn't want to sign a contract, when someone's not ready to agree to the sale of the property, even if everything's gone right, that still means that there's something there that's holding them back. So now you're you're not back to square one, but you're back to this to the fact finding step. You know why aren't they comfortable? You know what's holding them back? Who do they need to talk to? You know in, in order to make them comfortable, what needs to happen? With do they need to get personal belongings before they're ready to sign something? Right. So it's doing another fact finding mission, but then also the important part is setting the expectation for when you can follow up. Right. So they're not ready to sign the appointment now. You know, they sit, you do a fact finding. They say, you know, well, you know, I just need to think about it some more or, um, you know, I really want to talk to my, to my siblings about this. And it's like, okay, great. You know, if I don't hear from you in the next three or four days, you know, is it okay if I give you a call just to check in and touch base? And it, you, you set that expectation of following up and getting it across the finish line to a point where you have the signed contract. The other thing too is when somebody says maybe, or maybe I have a line now that I say that says, well, you know, like, uh, you know, Kate, are you ready? To, you know, or Kate, what, what would be the next step? Well, I need to go talk to this person. You know, Kate, what, you know, I appreciate that and we can totally make that happen. Um, but when I say maybe, usually it's one of three things. Usually the price is wrong. The person helping me is wrong or the time frame's wrong. Mm-hmm. Are any of those, you know, what's going on? Because I want to make sure that you and I are on the same page. And they might just say, hey, yeah, you know, if your price was 10 grand higher, I'd be ready to move forward with it today. But, you know, it's, that's 10 grand. I need to, you know, kind of talk to my family and see what they think. That's when you have the decision. Would I rather make 10 grand less potentially? Or would I rather let this go back to a family member who could potentially say, ah, you're, you're completely doing this all wrong, like, and blow up the deal because they aren't listening to what the facts are? It's so funny you mentioned that because I had a deal that had that almost that exact thing happen. It was a it was a JV wholesale deal that we closed that I closed with Manjot. It was the it was the Palm the yeah. Palm deal. So I was working and trying to lock it up. I I had known the seller previously. Um, he he's a landlord here in town, and you know I I don't even remember what I was trying to lock it up for. Maybe maybe one thirty or 135 and he's like you know i i really i don't know if i can make that work um you know i i may just you know rent it back out since the renters are moving out i i may go in there and do the work myself because he's a contractor he's like i i may go in there and and just fix it up and and re-rent it out but uh you know i'll think about it and and i'll let you know so at that point and, and this is where we were like and still now if you're close you know and and we know we can perf- perform we, we want to lock something up. So I had another investor here in town um, give the seller a call J- just so it's somebody else giving them. I'm like, hey, you know, I- I'm really close with the seller. Can you give him a call and just, you know, kind of see what you can do, right? And kind of see where he's at. And so this other investor gave him a call and the seller shared a piece of information that he had not shared with me, which was exactly what you were saying. You know, the seller said, you know, if, if I could get 150 right now, I, I would sign right now. I, I would sign this second. So 
the other investor calls me back and he said, dude, I, I talked to your seller. You know, if you, if you can get to 150, he said he'll sign right now. So, and I'm like, well, crap. Uh, that li- literally probably 30 minutes later, I had a contract drafted, emailed to the seller, and he docu-signed it that afternoon for 150. There you go. So what we're trying to say is that sometimes when you get that one person that says that they're not ready, it's yeah. because usually you made a mistake. You didn't find out that all the fact finders or you didn't fact find who all of the decision mm-hmm. makers are. Uh, I've even had it. I had a contract that I signed where I was at the house. And once we came to an agreement on terms, four siblings came over. <laughs> like they drove over to the house and I signed it right there with them. Yeah. So, you know, it comes down to there's usually more information. If it feels like you can't do it, it's because there's more information that you need to find. Yeah. Once you have it all signed. Once we've got it all signed. The next step is to go back to your office. Yes. Or your house. Draft an email and send the copy over to the seller and open escrow all at once. Once escrow is opened, immediately drive over and deposit your earnest money because at that point, escrow is now established and you have everything done now you can go look for how you're going to disposition it whether you wholesale it flip it wholesale it uh joint venture whatever now you have the house under contract and you can go do the next step but what's so important about putting in the emd immediately right i mean we've got a signed contract i mean escrow is open what what is our rush on making sure we put in the emd as quick as possible well once you have your earnest money in it's the next level of protection because now you have liability or like leverage on the house mm-hmm. there is money tied to the house with your name and a signed contract yep. now the seller can't just walk away real quick um not to say that they will but to say that we've had moments where even with all of this preparation a family member comes in and tries to say oh well you're gonna sell it to them for 150 <laughs> i'll buy it for 152 from you yeah and they try well hey man look your family. You should have figured that out. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not signing, this is where the fortune comes in. If you go on an appointment and it went well, you know there's motivation, price, condition, whatever, right? And there's a couple things missing. Put them in your CRM. Update your notes as full as possible with as many details and set your follow-ups. It is key at this point to move forward and continue to touch base. And continuing to touch base, I mean, I've... That that's a super key important part too, because you don't want that to fall through the cracks. I mean, I know we've both had deals and it pops up where you go on that first appointment, but then, you know, for X, Y, and Z reasons, they're not signing and it's not the right time, but then time passes, time passes. And then you may find yourself going out on a second appointment to the house, you know, two or three months later. So it's like, now you're kind of running through this all, all over again. You know what I mean? Yep. To see, to see kind of what's changed and what's updated. Yeah. Well, shoot. Well, I think that's a pretty good guide for your first appointment. If you've never done it, or even if you have, and you need a refresher. A hundred percent. I think the big key takeaways for you guys who have not gone out on your first appointment yet you get to the point where you have it scheduled and you're sitting there pumped, a little nervous, is you've got to go in with the right mindset. You've got to be on point, mentally ready to go. You've got to go in prepared. Do your homework beforehand. When you're on the appointment, be genuine. Build rapport. Be a good listener. Ask these fact-finding questions that are going to help you in the long run. And then whether that results in a signed contract in your first freaking escrow and your first deal, great. If it doesn't, figure out where things could have gone wrong. Throw them in the CRM for follow-up because, you know, the money's in the follow-up. Absolutely. 
So thank you guys for tuning in to yeah. today's episode of the Pursuit of Property podcast. This is a topic we've had a lot of people ask about. We've coached people through a how lot. to handle their first appointment, which has been really cool for us because we're, I mean, we're no masters by any means, but being able to coach people through and kind of help them along um, and coach them through their first appointment has been awesome. And like you said, a great refresher for those even going on a lot of appointments. So if you guys have any questions that pop up, if you guys get your first appointment scheduled and you want some advice or anything before going in, we're always, I know we say this at the end of every episode, but our door is always open. Yep. So please feel free to reach out and we'll see you on the next episode of the Pursuit of Property Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys.